Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Uh, good morning, Imago Day. It's good to be here, uh, not only with the folks who are actually here uh, worshiping in person, but also our, uh, those who are joining us online. Uh, we're just glad to be uh, a part of your life and your journey, um, especially during this season of life. Uh, we are going through the book of Hebrews, and so if you have your Bibles, we can turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to go look at verses 5 to 18, a little bit lengthy, so I'm going to try to dive right in. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18, uh, and if you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, uh, so if you'd like to sync up with me in that way, uh, you can go there. This is the reading of God's word. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered both the one who makes his people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children, of the, I, and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made more made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I'm gonna actually, uh, we're gonna have on the last slide, just the last verse, because I'm gonna really drill down, and the bulk of the sermon is actually gonna be uh, on this verse, where the author of Hebrews says, because Jesus himself suffered, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I'm gonna focus on this one verse, in part because Hebrews is very, very complicated. Um, Rick shared with us that um, the author of Hebrews uh, assumed a great knowledge of the Old Testament uh, as he was writing uh, to a Jewish audience. And for all of us, including myself, we all have varying uh, uh, degrees of knowing and understanding the various relevant passages in the Old Testament that helps us understand this. But due to the length of this passage, 
I thought to maximize our time together, I would kind of focus on the last verse in the hopes that it will give us a glimpse into the meaning of the verses before it. Here, I wanna kind of focus on something that actually got my attention as I was reading the passage. I found it really peculiar that the author of Hebrews said that Jesus suffered when he was tempted. I knew that Jesus suffered when he died on the cross. I knew that he took on humanity and kind of gave up a glory, but I almost exclusively associate his suffering through his death. But here, the author connects his suffering to uh, his, his being tempted, and I simply wanna look at with you, how did Jesus suffer through his temptations? The first thing I think, the reason why he suffered is because he suffered because he resisted temptation. And let me explain what I mean. You see, uh, C.S. Lewis said, to the one who resists temptation, only the one who resists temptation, fully understands the power over that, of the temptation because once we give in, the power is no longer there of that temptation over us. You know, I don't know about you, but food talks to me. You know, I'm like the Dr. Doolittle of food. And when I go into my kitchen, uh, you know, hey, like, you know, Alex is back, you know, again. And it's like, hey, man, how you doing, Alex? Like, you know, you want a fellowship? And like, you know, like literally, you know, break, break, break me. You know, like, you know what, you want to, let's, let's do this. And, and as you guys can tell, my, the food in my mind is Christian. So I use words like fellowship. But... But I want you to think about that for a moment because theologians debate this thing called the impeccability of Christ. Could Jesus have sinned or not, right? If you, uh, some believe that if he couldn't have sinned, the temptations aren't real. And some people believe, no, because he was 100% God, it was impossible. Now, my opinion, for whatever it's worth, doesn't really matter too much, but I believe Jesus was unable to sin because he was fully God. But just for a moment, you'd say this, that the power of the temptation is not necessarily experienced in whether you have the potential to sin or not. It actually is experienced when you resist it. Because the moment I bite into that apple pies, you know, and the moment I give in to any temptation, at any level, that, that temptation's power ceases in that moment. But you see, for Jesus, uh, whether you believe he could have or not, what we do know is he didn't give in to temptation. And so there is a suffering, there is an aspect of suffering that Jesus endured because he was the perfect Lamb of God. I think there's another reason why Jesus suffered, and it wasn't just because he resisted and he endured this perpetually as the perfect Lamb of God, but I think the other reason is that Jesus suffered because when he was tempted, he was reminded of his greatest struggle. R.C. Sproul, who's a, a theologian who passed away, I believe it was last year or the year before, he said this before he died. He said, I'm not afraid of death at all but I'm very afraid of dying. And I thought about that. I thought that was a really profound statement. I'm not afraid of death, but I am afraid of dying. I'm afraid of the suffering that will happen that will ultimately lead to my death. And I think that, and I don't wanna compare and kind of, kind of reduce Jesus, but I think there's a sense in which we can see that Jesus struggled with this too. I don't believe Jesus struggled with death itself per se, 
but rather the process of dying that he would have to endure in order to pay the price of sin on our behalf. And I think for me, when you think back, you have to kind of go backwards to understand how Jesus suffered when he was tempted. You have to first go to the cross where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time Jesus calls God, God. He always calls him Father. But in that moment of being forsaken as the sins of the world were hurled on him as a sacrifice, we're told, well, some believe, believe, and this is my belief as well, that, that the holiness of God, the perfection of the Spirit and the Father almost had to turn their back on the Son because he had the sins of the world upon him. And so Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I would say this, it is that being forsaken that Jesus was saying, take this cup from me in the Garden of Gethsemane. The cup that Jesus didn't want to drink wasn't necessarily just dying on the cross, but it was the fact that he would be forsaken before he would die. Now I want you to go back to the second temptation of Christ in the Gospel of Matthew, where the devil takes Jesus to a temple and he says, throw yourself off this temple because... He says, in Psalm 91, he says, he will send his angels concerning you. He will be there for you. That's his promise. So why don't you test your father? Now go back and think about this. How is that a temptation? If somebody were to take me to a high place and say, jump off for, you know, to prove something, I, that's not really a strong temptation unless, unless the devil is being not just uh, saying jump off, but there's something more going on here. He's like, he knows the isolation he, Jesus is gonna experience. He knows the death that he's gonna die. He knows the whole plan. He knows what's gonna go down. And what he's essentially saying is in mocking Jesus, you know you're gonna be forsaken. You know the hell you will have to endure. So why don't you do this? Test the Father. Jump off this place and see if your Father and see if the Spirit care about you. See if they're with you. What's really profound about that second temptation is that the devil only takes a portion of Psalm 91. The devil says, uh, in order to test God uh, because of your insecurity or your fears, why don't you jump off? But Psalm 91 begins with go, the, uh, the one who will be rescued is the one who goes into the temple who finds the solace, who finds salvation, who finds deliverance in the very presence of God. So Psalm 91 is not about testing God, it's about trusting him and going into that sanctuary. And what does Jesus do? Jesus actually on the cross says, after he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus metaphorically goes into that sanctuary of that relationship with the Father and Spirit. says, I'm not gonna test you. I'm not gonna jump off here and live out my fears and live out my insecurity. I am going to, I am going to, into your hands, I'm gonna commit my spirit that is struggling. And I think the reason why this is a deep and painful suffering for Jesus is because in his temptation, he was reminded, he was reminded of his greatest fear, or maybe his greatest struggle, that he would be forsaken by the Father and the Spirit. The third reason why I think Jesus suffered is because he loves us. 
You know, I don't know, this is like something that I, I, I think Jesus is so full of love that whenever he, uh, um, he not only experienced suffering himself, he suffered, but I think he also knew that in suffering, he was reminded of the suffering of his people, you and I. And that caused Jesus pain. If you think about this famous story, my favorite memory verse of all time is uh, Jesus wept, right? I remember when I used to go to youth camp and then they would make you memorize verses before you could eat food. Total terrible ministry, but that's the reality of my, my spirituality. But, uh, and, then, and then I remember there was one time that the pastor threw us a bone and it was Jesus wept. Here's the thing about that verse. Why would Jesus weep? This is, he wept when Lazarus died. And by, by the way, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So why would Jesus weep over the death of a man that in just moments he was gonna raise from the dead. I think there are two reasons why he wept. Number one, he wept because he knew that the death of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus was gonna be a symbol of his own death and his own resurrection, and he was, again, reminded of the anguish of being forsaken. But I think the second reason is really, really simple, is that he loved Mary and Martha so much and they were sad. You know, when I go through as a parent now, as a dad to uh, older kids now, uh, in, you know, three in college and two in high school, I can tell you every time I go through suffering in this life, I experience it in two ways, individually. I'm going through the suffering myself. I'm kind of carrying a darkness, a pain, a, a, a challenge. I'm carrying it, but there's another layer, and that's always, the, my, my grief goes a little deeper when I know my kids are gonna go through the same thing. When my wife and I go through those moments of, uh, we have a wonderful marriage, but we do have our, our hard times. We have our ups, our downs, and there's like that down when you're so lonely because you don't understand each other, or you're just, your, your marriage is so broken, or you're, uh, you're just not understanding, or you're full, filled with hurt. I experience that hurt myself, and I think about, man, even with my kids, the person that will love them the most and that they will love the most, or whatever, that they're going to experience that level of excruciating darkness and loneliness. And I think this is why Jesus suffered, because as he was being tempted, he was not only experiencing it for himself, but he was also thinking of and almost experiencing it because he knew his sons and daughters, his followers, the people that he loves the most were going to struggle and struggle a lot. And when you and I make a decision to love, to love a parent, to love a friend, to love a church, to love uh, uh, any person, when we, when we make that decision, I'm gonna say something a little harsh, but it's, it's more lighthearted than that, and that is when we make a decision to love, we are making a decision to be as happy as the most miserable person in our life. Oh, that sounds really depressing. And I don't mean that bad, because we can celebrate their joys, but it means that if I love you, I'm gonna hurt when you're hurting. When you're depressed, I'm going to be depressed. And when you, are, when you have joy and you're excited and you're, you're full of hope, I'm gonna be hopeful as well, but I'm also gonna suffer with you. That's the, that's the decision love makes when it chooses to love. How does this help us? 
if we can kind of understand that Jesus suffered because he resisted, he suffered because he was reminded of his greatest struggle, and he suffered because he loves us so much, knowing that we were gonna, we were gonna suffer. How does Jesus help us in that suffering? The first thing I think we are meant, what we are meant to experience when we read the book of Hebrews and we read a verse like that is that, is that Jesus is telling us, he's saying, friends, what you are going through is hard. I know some of you guys are feeling, I got ripped off. This guy's just standing up there saying little simple truths, like little pithy statements, but I'll, I'll tell you this. I want you to think about something before you digest that statement. That is, think about how much you and I diminish our suffering and pain. You and I work really hard to push our pain down and minimize it. We say things like other people have it worse, so we compare ourselves to others. Yeah, this is hard, but you know, there's so many more people that have it worse, especially when you live in a bountiful country like ours is. We can say that every day if we wanted to. Others of us, we will say that, you know what, I am, we'll do it through guilt and shame. We won't do it through comparison. Sometimes we do it through guilt and shame where we say, you know what, it's only a struggle because I'm so sinful. That if I were godly enough, if I were righteous enough, if I loved God enough, it wouldn't be hard. I should easily obey, I should easily forgive, I should easily pray and praise, and I should easily read the word. And so we have associated, we have associated maturity with ease. And so when we look around people who work out and are so disciplined, we're like, man, I wish I was like them. It's, they, they just so, it's so easy and it's so hard for me. There's something wrong with me. And so we shove and minimize and push our suffering down regularly. And Jesus, the great therapist, the great helper, the great healer says, stop doing that. This is hard. And I'll tell you this, friends, every single healing moment in my life, and I would argue yours, but I'm gonna stick with myself because I don't wanna be too arrogant, just a little arrogant, but not too arrogant. And that is, in every healing moment in my life, and I think at least some of yours, it involves an acknowledgement of how difficult it is. I remember, I could give you an example. My wife first, I remember we were talking about my childhood and I didn't know that I was suppressing my childhood. I didn't know I was suppressing abuse or uh, you know, physical or sexual. I didn't know I was pushing all these things away. I had no idea I was doing this until I got married. And Michelle was like, why do you do this? Why do you keep minimizing what you went through as a kid? And then I started therapy. My therapist began to tell me, that was so much to carry as a child. I even remember one of my mentors who said this, his father passed away when he was 14 years old. He never cried a tear until he was 45 because that's the age his son was 14. And he couldn't see the suffering of his own loss as a child where he had to grow up really fast and he lost this person in his life. He couldn't even understand that until he realized, 
man, my 14-year-old son, if I were gone, what a weight for him to carry. And it was the first time he cried over the death of his father. And so you have this God who not just suffers, but in his suffering identifies with us and says, you know what, friends, it is hard. Take these two pieces of bread. You know what, like you wanna die, it's hard. You wanna read the Bible, it's hard. You wanna get a job, it's hard. You wanna, whatever it is you're gonna, we're gonna do in this life, you and I, it's, it's hard. And to have Jesus the perfect, nobody suffered like Jesus. First of all, he's the one who wins that game every time. But secondly, not only him, but as a perfect one who overcame, notice the compassion of Jesus even calling this suffering. That Jesus in his compassion is not saying, why is it so hard for you? When are you gonna do this? When are you gonna you know, wake up and, and, and when are you gonna do this? No, he just says, you know what? It, it was hard for me. It's certainly gonna be hard for you. In fact, this is why Jesus prays for us. In Luke chapter 22, there's this passage where Peter, Jesus tells Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He asked for your soul. He, he asked for you. But I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Now go and strengthen your other brothers and sisters. Jesus telling us it is hard means that we are free to deal with the reality that this, in fact, is hard. And I say free because we associate ease as a sign that we are good, but rather now, no, we are free to get the help that we need in order to get through the hardship of the temptation to walk away from God, to walk away from love, to walk away from the gospel, to walk away from the voice of the Spirit, to walk away from the Father's embrace, all the temptations that we have, they pretty much come down to those things, ultimately. It's a temptation to forsake God, to test God, to turn away from God. I think the other thing that Jesus does, and this is another one of those, like you guys might feel like we're getting ripped off coming here, but it's just the second thing that Jesus does, how he helps us, is he tells us we're not alone. Again, I know that doesn't do anything for anybody's life, but I want you to think about how many times you, you experience substantial healing just knowing you're not alone. Just knowing you're not alone and that you're not crazy anymore. Again, I told you in my life, all my healing stories began with someone telling me, this is hard, this is heavy, this is difficult. I would also say that every healing journey also included with it this acknowledgement that I am not alone in my suffering. Think about this for a moment, friends. We are living in this crazy world. I know we talk about COVID's so crazy, we can bring it up every week and we're like, it really, really is that crazy. How many times have you psychologically overcome a heavy burden this season of life simply knowing the whole world's going through it? I, 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 I'd be like, oh, that's not just Alex. This is the, like, the world, humanity. Think about that for a moment. And now, now receive that statement. Jesus is saying, you are not alone. 
The other thing that Jesus tells us, and it's not in this passage, I have to bring in other passages to support this, but Jesus also, I think the reason why he helps us in his suffering is that ultimately he's not only proof that suffering is hard, not only that it's real, but he also is proof that it's temporary. And this statement right now is gonna do one of two things to you, maybe both. It's gonna give you a sense of relief because you know that there are things that will pass. But there's another side of you also that will struggle with what I just said because there are things, there is something in each of us that we will suffer until we move from this life to the next. There are a lot of things in our life that will pass within this life and we will experience victory, we will experience healing, we will, we, will, we will experience tangible, real relief from our suffering because God is gracious, he is good, but there are also other things that will be the thorn in the side of our flesh that we will carry with us and the only benefit will be, the only benefit will be the gift of knowing that we're not home. You see, friends, you and I, as humans, we can handle a lot. We can handle a lot. Just think back to this past Christmas and New Year. We can handle a lot. But I'll tell you this, nothing makes hope escape our soul faster than not knowing there's an end. And so for us in the gospel, what we see is not only Jesus, who resisted temptation, he was the perfect Lamb of God, then he was slain, he died on that cross for us, but what the gospel also tells us he rose again, he conquered death, he conquered sin, he conquered it all, which means that no matter how dark this world looks, it is all temporary, and we will experience the kingdom breaking through every now and again. Thank God for that but there are other things where it's not yet realized until he returns. So some of us are gonna have to remind, we're gonna, the way that we're gonna get through and we're gonna walk with Jesus is to know that Jesus is proof that some of our suffering will end in this lifetime, and some of, but all of it will end when he returns. And I think for a moment, I think when Jesus tells us, because he suffered, he is able to help. I think in that same way, you and I have to walk away with a very tangible application. Not only to acknowledge our hardship and our difficulty and struggle and allow Jesus into our hearts and into our suffering and into our darkness. We have to invite him into those spaces. But I think there's another thing that we also have to do, and that is to know I wanna be very, very careful with what I'm about to say. That is that our suffering is going to be the thing that will help us help others. And again, today is a day of cheap statements that I need to qualify. Number one, I want you to hear, I I wanna be very careful, especially Christians, I want us to be very, 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 very careful. Do not hear me saying that the purpose that God puts suffering in your life is to help others. I'm not saying that at all. I don't wanna for a second pretend that I know why God allows suffering in this world. I don't. 
all I'm saying is I believe it's a byproduct of suffering and walking with Jesus, not the purpose. Don't go around telling people, you know what, I mean, God, oh, God's gonna use you in that little pain. That, that, no, we don't, we don't know the heart and mind of God in that detailed of a level. But what we do know, we do know, is that as we experience substantial healing, that we end up, and if we offer our brokenness to people, not our success, our brokenness, we actually become people who help. And I want us to pause for a moment because that's a cheap statement, it's a cliche, it's so obvious, but think about this. When do you and I feel good in giving advice? We always give advice with the things that we think are our strengths. We share our successes how I got more customers, how I made it through law school, how I did all the things, but that is not the stuff that helps. The stuff that helps is how hard it was to make all of that work. Because what that does for every individual is it releases a hope that maybe what Christ did for you, that he can do for me. And so the practical application is this, friends, that if we are suffering, and if we walk with Jesus in that suffering, then number one, you and I can be a source of compassion for the people in our lives who are suffering, and we no longer have to say, that's nothing. We don't have to be dismissive of, our, of the, people, the suffering of other people in our lives, which we do quite a bit. I'm Gen X. I used to work at a church that was exclusively millennial. In my arrogance, I was always dismissing their problems. But Jesus says, I'm here, when we, when we experience that grace of Jesus, then what happens is it fills our hearts with a compassion to say, you know what, that is hard. Number two, you and I, like Jesus, we can simply be present with them. We can hold their suffering and offer our story, and we can simply be present with people and just offer that, the ministry of presence and being with people as they suffer. The third thing we can do is simply be with them, and we can wait patiently and expectantly with others as we wait for our hope ourselves. There are things that will pass in this life and there are things that will only pass in the life to come. I'm gonna tell you guys a story. You might have heard it. It's, I probably got it from like chicken soup for the soul or something, so forgive me. And it's a fake story, it's not real. Like anybody I know or like some like auto, you know, some biography I read. It's just a cheesy chicken soup for the soul, pastors.com or something, I got some, something terrible like that. There was this king. And he was struggling and he talked to his kingdom and he said, I will give half my land to anyone in my kingdom who can help me when things are, uh, to help me when I'm struggling and to help me when I'm doing well. And because uh, he noticed that he, he was, had high times, he had low times and that both were difficult to manage. And everybody tried, they tried, they tried, they failed. And this one guy came and he had this little box with the inscription on it, TTSP. And the king said, what is this? And he says, my king, it's this too shall pass. 
that when things are good, my king, this too shall pass, it'll make you humble. And whenever you're struggling, you remember this too shall pass. And I think for us, the words that I hear from Jesus in this passage is that this too will pass. You and I, we are all carrying something very difficult and we are working hard to diminish the level of difficulty and yet that temptation is tempting us to quit on people, on love, and on God himself. And so this Sunday, we come again by faith. We come in faith, not to test God. We are not here to jump off the temple, as it were, but this is our act of faith to run into the temple to say that the presence of God in Christ is the only hope, is the only healing that I will have. And so we come by faith this Sunday to receive the help that Jesus offers because he suffered just like we did. And by remembering that his help flows from his suffering, it is difficult, you are not alone, and this too shall pass, either in this life or the life to come. Let's pray. I'm just gonna ask you right now just to take a, a moment. We're just gonna do a moment of silence. Just gonna ask that you take a, a slow breath in and a slow exhale. And just wanna give you a moment of silence to just digest not just the suffering of Christ, but the help that he offers. And then after that, I'll, I'll close this in a word of prayer, but I just want us to just kind of take a deep breath. Father, we come with a lot of, of burdens, some of them self-imposed, some of them imposed on us. God, we are all carrying something that we should probably, if we hear your voice, set down. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help all of us be able to hear, to know, to see the things we need to lay down. But that we would also see that, that it is in fact, this suffering and being tempted is real. And I pray that you would remove and you would wipe away all that, that self-hate talk, that, that, that conversation in our head that diminishes the hardship of our lives and that we would simply, simply receive your help. And in doing so, I pray that you would not only help us so that we could help others, but I pray that we would collectively kind of, that you would, you would knit us together as a community in that effort, and that we would be able to bring healing and restoration to our city. And so, Jesus, we look to you 
You're where our help comes from. And we ask that you would heal us and restore us and give us that, that yoke of yours that is easy and light. And that we would also be able to lay down the burden, help others lay down their burdens as well. God, we need you, we need each other, we need this church. And I believe our city needs us. Our neighbors need us. Our families need us. Our friends need us. But before we take that step of compassion, before we take that step of action that we would simply receive, Jesus, thank you. You're amazing. You're absolutely amazing in the way that you, you teach and you show and you live and you, 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 um, how you serve us and love us and bless us. It's amazing. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen.